Welcome to The Complete Angler, your source of information on the outdoor industry in central Canada. With over 35 years in the field, host Don Lamont covers topics and issues with industry leaders and influencers to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the outdoor world. And now, here's your host, Don Lamont. Eric Mullen has a passion for the sustainable management of fish and wildlife. Growing up in southwestern Ontario, Eric spent much of his youth fishing and hunting in the natural spaces where he grew up. This upbringing inspired him to pursue a career in natural resource management. Recently, he moved into the regional fisheries manager position in eastern Manitoba. Here, he helps protect and enhance fish stocks and fishing opportunities. To that end, Eric also believes in furthering the conservation message and has shared fisheries science and management information to the public through Hooked Magazine. Hey, Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, Don, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well, my friend. Uh, how are things in Lactobani? Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we're uh, well along with the ice fishing season here. Got a bit of a cold snap, and I'm looking forward to the weekend getting out on Lake Winnipeg. Okay. Well, actually, we met in Lactobani many years ago when you were doing some uh, some work, consul consulting work uh, on sturgeon, lake sturgeon, and you set some test nets and brought in some sturgeon to the students at Centennial School in Lactobani, the grade six class, and um, you brought those sturgeon in. You showed the kids uh, how it's all done. What were you doing in, in those days? Yeah, that was a really awesome day. Um, so that was part of the the mark recapture program that's ongoing on the Winnipeg River. So every two years, this part of the system out in front of Lactobani here, the MacArthur Reservoir, um, essentially we set a bunch of sturgeon nets, we catch fish, we tag them. And then over time, as you continue to come back and catch more sturgeon, and then you'll see the rate that you're recapturing your previously tagged fish, then you could actually estimate how many fish you have in the population as well as how they're growing and so tell us what you were doing with little sturgeon eric yeah absolutely so yeah, that was a really great day we had uh, nets out in the macarthur reservoir here out in front of the town of lactabani um, that's a program that we run every two years and it's basically just a long-term population monitoring program where we'll catch these sturgeon and then we uh, implant tags and measure them and as we go over the years and recapture these fish and we'll have sort of a rate of how many tags that we've, you know, initially put in and how many we have now. And then from that data, we can estimate the total size of the population as well as get a lot of great information on, on their growth and their body condition and the relative density of sturgeon in different parts of the river. So um, we were able to bring some of those fish to the dock and actually do that tagging, that whole process of sampling these fish in front of the kids and they all got to put fish gloves on and we gave them a sturgeon. They actually got to release it. So um, it's pretty cool. It's a really good experience. And honestly, I think just the look on all those kids' faces tells the whole story because sturgeon are so unique and everyone knows how unique and cool they are. And so just for those kids to get to interact with them and hold them, it was it was a pretty awesome day. And we actually got to do that again this year uh, on the town docks as well. And, and I hope that's something we continue to get to do because it's really fun. And the kids ask some really cool questions too, really unique questions. Yeah, that was a, that was a great day. And I've been involved with that for a long time. Now I want to get some background when I, that was the, the first time that I met you, then we got talking about your background, but you're originally from Ontario. 
Yeah, that's right. I grew up uh, out in the country in Essex County in southwestern Ontario. Yeah. And now, how did you get into fishing and hunting? Was you said you had you were from a fairly large family? Yeah, actually, I'm the I'm the youngest of six. Um, I think it kind of started. You know, I had uh, I grew up in a really nice spot with some bush and creeks around and lots of space to explore. So. As a kid, I kind of went through a bit of a Steve Irwin phase where I was going around all the ditches catching snakes and snapping turtles and measuring them and writing notes <laughs> down in my little book. <laughs> so, so I was kind of uh, already down the road of wanting to be a biologist. And um, I also had the opportunity to go fishing and do some hunting around. And I, you know, I started finding some old fish equipment in the sheds where I grew up and um, I actually went down fishing by that creek and that's kind of where it all started. I was able to catch all sorts of cool little fish and bring them back home and eat them and sort of a slippery slope from there, Don. Where did you go for your education? Um, so yeah, after I finished high school, I went and I did a degree in uh, ecological restoration and that was at Trent University and then also at Fleming College in Ontario. Um, and during that time I got to do some some summer contracts at Har Harkness Lab in Algonquin Park, which is a fisheries research station. And it just blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I could do this. You know, I'm obsessed with fishing. I'm obsessed with fish and nature. And I could actually, you know, have a job doing this. And over those two summers, I did, you know, took float planes out to backcountry lakes to do brook trout, lake trout surveys and snorkeling surveys for smallmouth bass and all these great projects. And I was like, maybe I should consider continuing my schooling so I could, you know, I knew it was a competitive sort of field uh, and job market, but I was like, you know, I'm going to, I want to take that risk if it means I could do this for a living. Like, that's awesome. So how did you end up in Manitoba? Yeah, that, that same path led me here and, uh, and in an extremely sort of fortunate way, because I couldn't be more happy to live in Manitoba. But um, as I was exploring different options for postgraduate education. I got offered a position, a master's position at the University of Manitoba in um, Dr. Gary Anderson's lab. And the project was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't pass it down. It was a research program looking at the behavioral and physiological response of lake sturgeon to catch and release angling. So it already had to do with fishing and it had to do with this really cool, unique species that I didn't really have much experience with going into it. And then, yeah, I got to work here for two years. And during that time, I got to work, you know, with some of the provincial employees and on some black crappie projects. And I was like, this is the best place in the world. I, I love doing this work and I love being in Manitoba and fishing here. It's, it's exceptional. Well, yeah, that kind of impressed me when I talked to you. You said Manitoba has so many different species to angle for in this part of the world. And you're in eastern Manitoba, headquartered out of Lactabonne. And it, it it is really true, isn't it? There's nothing quite like it. I mean, in terms of just the abundance of opportunity, the diversity, the diversity of species, and not to mention the fact that you have, you know, a chance at catching a trophy fish in virtually any species you go after here. Like even when I was living in Winnipeg, you drive an hour or two hours in just about any direction and think of all the different landscapes you could fish, all the different species you could target, you know, from fishing prairie pothole lakes for big stock trout to greenbacks on an inland ocean. And then in the shield country for bass and crappie, it's just like 
it's endless. And then, yeah, now that I live in Latibani, it's so much closer to home and just the, the abundance of water and, and opportunity. It's uh, there's nothing quite like it. If you're an angler, this is, this is the place to be. So you, uh, you had a fairly uh, rapid rise to success. Now you're the regional biologist in Lactabani, and you kind of look after the whole eastern region, which uh, has, uh, we've had some fun. Like we both like to fish for crappies. Um, mm -hmm. we, bo we both like to fish for a wide variety of species of fish. Now you, were, you ended up writing for Hooked. I think you're what, you're your third or fourth year now for Hook Magazine? Yeah, I've, you know, I can't even, I must have written at least four articles until now, and it's been such an awesome opportunity. I mean, I love the magazine. I read it before I ever got to write for it, so uh, really cool to be part of that. And you were out at our 15th anniversary celebration at Kendall's Point, and you got to fish with Gussie, didn't you? That was something else. Yeah, being in a boat with that guy, that was really, that was a learning opportunity, and just so so cool to watch that guy pick apart water and just the techniques he uses like it just really shows you how much you you know how much space there is to learn in this sport it's wild well we we got together on the last half day and uh, i, I want to talk a little bit of a story so we're almost ready to go back to the lodge so we pull up to one last spot to fish and uh the wind is really blowing in so i figured well i don't know there's a lot of water blowing on these rocks so, so windy, I couldn't fish. I had to kind of hold the bo boat out from shore, back trolling, and you got to the front and start throwing a crankbait. And how many walleyes did you catch in a row? You know, I lost count. We just had that little pocket there. It just seemed like they were stacked on top of each other. It was, that was crazy. Yeah, I think at one stage you caught 12 or, I think you had 15 casts with 13 walleyes, something like that. <laughs> well, it was all because I was, you know, guided by an expert and a legend there and he <laughs> put me on the spot and he kept me there and then he didn't even insist on casting himself so that was uh that was entirely due to my guide i gotta say yeah that was a lot of fun that day yeah you've you've done a lot of different articles you've done uh most recent one uh that we're going to talk about in a minute it was is illegal stalking but i want to first talk about a couple other ones you did uh one was uh, baritrom and the other one was uh lake trout catch and release uh, let's yeah. talk about the lake trout one. Uh, that was a really interesting article that you can find on our website. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, the timing was right because, you know, in, in sort of the last two years, we've had some students come through and do some really cool research projects through the University of Winnipeg and uh, Caleb Hassler's lab. Um, and those two master's students had graduated, and so their information became available. And now there's a bit of a continuation with some of the um, spawning impacts of angling work that's still happening in Clearwater. And so it just felt like a really good time to get some of that information out. And, and we learned a ton from that too. Like it was really, for me, one of the biggest, most fascinating things about it was just seeing how differently those populations were structured in Southern and Southeastern Manitoba compared to Northern Manitoba. Um, and it really just shows you how incredibly productive those fisheries are in the north particularly clearwater lake it's uh it's pretty impressive yeah clearwater is a beautiful lake i've fished it many times uh, the water clarity is as advertised there's a ton of lake trout in there some really big fish one of the mm -hmm. one of the surprises for me out of that survey was the the quality of lake trout fishing in second cranberry up by the paw yeah yeah yeah, fast growing fish and, and, you know, all kinds of 
of good quality fish in, in solid numbers. I mean, again, for a drive to lake trout fishery, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. So let's talk about your most recent article that's coming out in the latest issue of Hook Magazine, what we call our special edition, which will be out to middle uh, first week in February. It's about illegal stalking in Manitoba. Uh, so how did you how did you get started on that, and why did you write about that? Well, you know, I kind of got down this path of really trying to do as much research as I could about the potential impacts and implications of illegal stalking events on on our on our fisheries right and this is it's not a new concept this is you know it's actually it's very old right and and it's as old as the uh fish stocking programs that various governments have run in the provinces and states right we've been we've been stocking fish around um, for the better part of a century and you know in the early days of that we were throwing all kinds of species around and some of it was pretty unscientific and a lot of it um potentially was led to some issues down the road. And so now we're sort of at a point in fish stocking where in, in, in the modern days where when we put a species in a lake, it's done very deliberately, you know, like the conditions there are suitable for that species and we're not going to have any negative impacts on a pre-existing fishery or other sport fish that exist in that system. And they're not going to escape and then potentially become, you know, somewhat of an invasive species. And so, there's a lot of conditions to our fish stocking program, which is very successful in Manitoba, of course, and, and a lot of trout anglers can attest to that. Um, but the other, the other part of that too, is that there is a long history of people sort of taking stocking into their own hands. And that's not unique to Manitoba. It happens all over North America. Um, and so people essentially will, will move species and physically transplant them. You know, maybe there's a species they find more desirable or they're not satisfied with the way a lake's producing. And then so they take it upon themselves to actually move some fish into a system. And then as they establish, then a novel fishery is born. And in Manitoba, um, this has been happening quite a bit recently, not just in the eastern region, but all over Manitoba. And that's sort of what we were writing about. And, and it was particularly prevalent in species from the Centrarchid family, like smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, bluegill black crappie. Um, these are species that have expanded their range dramatically in the province and uh, partially due to them moving around naturally, but a lot of it is, um, or at least a good proportion of these of these stockings were um, just done by what we sort of colloquially, colloquially refer to as bucket biologists, right? Right. And you had, you had a few examples. Let's talk about uh, Goose Lake for one. I mean, the number of master angler stock trout that that those two lakes in um, in Roblin produced over the years was was unbelievable but uh, all of a sudden now you have walleye and bass showing up yeah it's true unfortunately i mean yeah those lakes talk about unique you know north of 1200 master angler records in these two small lakes and anyone who's been there they are small and they're right inside the city limits of a small town with you know restaurants and lodging and all those opportunities so it's it's a local attraction and just a long-term producer it's produced giant fish consistently for years and years um but yeah a few years back there were some reports to some of uh my colleagues out west that there might have been some illegal stocking and that there was different species popping up in those lakes and and uh, now we know from a recent survey that there are you know juvenile and adult smallmouth bass and walleye in those lakes 
And, you know, the problem there is that those stock trout lakes were managed very carefully. And so now with these new predators in the lake, it's going to have an impact on those trout for sure. Um, and in recent years, it seems like the number of trophy submissions have sort of dropped down in the trout department there. But uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, smallmouth bass in particular are very hardy species and they can very easily outcompete species like trout for the exact same food resource. And so it can end up having this really negative impact on the density of other species in the lake or their growth. And it's it's not uh, restricted to the south or central Manitoba. There's been some some of that in northern Manitoba as well, which is even a more fragile environment. Yeah, absolutely. That that one really sort of uh, that's one we should all think about. I think because um, northern Manitoba just the just the sheer abundance of water and rivers and fisheries up there is astounding. And you know, as you know, and as a lot of people in Manitoba know just trophy lake trout, trophy walleye, trophy northern pike, and all sorts of different opportunities. And, um, you know, there have been cases where there was provincial stocking efforts, um, sometimes quite a long time ago, to establish smallmouth bass uh, in northern northern Manitoba. And, you know, I would suggest that those probably weren't very good ideas in hindsight, knowing what we know now about, you know, how smallmouth bass can invade different systems and compete with species when they're when they're newly introduced and so yeah we do have you know there's a number of lakes that people can think of where smallmouth bass exist but some of them have moved to lakes that um you know the province never stocked like mid lake up near thompson and there's actually a couple quarries near wabowden uh, along the route to thompson that uh now have smallmouth bass and then you know in recent years some some of the folks who fish at the Papaskau a lot, which is, you know, a legendary lake are, are saying they're seeing more and more smallmouth pop up. And so the problem there is it's, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen to the existing fishery when you throw in this new variable, which is smallmouth bass. Yeah. So people should be aware of that and understand that it can be, it can ruin fisheries. It can ruin trophy fisheries and it's, really very inconsiderate that they do that for sure. So I think it's a matter of public education. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is to be able to talk about that and why, why, it, you know, you should be very careful and not even consider doing something like that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's really, it's one person's decision to move fish. Um, but ultimately everyone who fishes that lake and anyone who ever will fish that lake will sort of um, see the consequences of that decision. And so, and again, you really don't know what the reaction at the ecosystem level or biologically will be when you introduce this new species there. You know, it's possible that the effect might not be um, too bad. And, and, and part of the thing too, is that, you know, as you know, people are somewhat infatuated with bass. Um, and people like to fish for them and they're very popular game species. And so, you know, it's one of those fish that if they do pop up in new areas, sometimes in the short term, people are very, very happy. Right. And part of that ties into that sort of social palette for that species. But then the other piece is that when you throw a new species into a system that's not yet adapted to having it, sometimes they grow very fast. And it's and it's often seen that that first wave of fish in that system 
grows, you know, very quickly and grows to trophy sizes. And so anglers will sometimes flock to these lakes. And all of a sudden there's this new novel trophy, exciting opportunity, right? But what can happen even, even in that sort of isolated scenario is that over time, those fish, their growth will slow as they become more focused on reproducing and becoming more dense in, the, in that lake. And sometimes they can stunt. And we've seen that in a number of lakes um, where you essentially just get left with a very abundant population, let's say, of 15 and 16 inch smallmouth. And then all of a sudden your hard, hardcore smallmouth guys aren't, uh, aren't so excited to go out and catch 100 of those in a day if they don't have the chance at that, you know, 19, 20 inch fish, right? Um, and of course the other component being, and then what happens to your other fish in that system? What happens to your walleye? What happens to your Northern Pike? And in the context of Northern Manitoba, it's interesting because, you know, smallmouth bass are, are unique biologically to what exists in the North. They have a very unique reproductive strategy of creating nests, laying their eggs in those nests, and then defending it voraciously. And, uh, a lot of our other sport fish species in the North are, are broadcast spawners. And so they have this sort of unique advantage up there and, you know, relatively few predators at, at various life stages, and they might not be the preferred prey of pike or, or, or of walleye, even when they're young. And so you, you kind of get this impact of all of a sudden, all of these fish are now competing for the same food resource. And uh, anyone who knows about smallmouth bass knows they're versatile. They'll eat just about anything, right? They, they could, and so they can compete with walleye and they can compete with pike and they can do it quite well. And we have the northernmost uh, population in North America, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and researching that article, I, I reached out. I knew that uh, in British Columbia, they do have smallmouth bass. And so I reached out to a fisheries biologist out, um, out in, um, trying to remember where it was, Williams Lake. And he explained to me that there was a couple isolated populations just north of Williams Lake. And those would sort of be the contenders for the next most northern population. Of course, in BC, um, you know, BC is very big on their salmonids. And so they see smallmouth bass essentially strictly as an invasive species. But the populations that exist up north in that Thompson country, right now, those are the, the furthest north recorded distribution of smallmouth bass. And so that's really interesting, right? And, and especially when you think about the sheer volume of water up there, of rivers, how interconnected everything is, you know, I think we'd all hate to see the situation come about where smallmouth bass, for example, get into a highly interconnected system and all of a sudden they start popping up in all of the very popular lakes up there right and so and then the risks of which could sort of play out over the landscape and over the years um and then we also don't know right how well do they perform at these in these climactic extremes are they even really capable of of growing to a large size that'll satisfy anglers, or maybe they just get really dense and, and they sort of stay small. There's a lot of unknowns to what could happen if they get up in that system too. And so it is, uh, yeah, it is a concern I think for anglers and and it's it's not something you can manage your way out of too, because once they're there, how do you get rid of them? Exactly. So speaking of master angler size fish and trophy fish, uh, I was on a meeting uh, today, actually, on the Fisheries Enhancement Fund board, and we're talking about a, a new project upcoming through the University of Winnipeg, and it has to do with uh, imaging 
talk a bit about that, Eric, because you've kind of been on the ground floor on that. What's it all about? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really cool, it's a really cool technology that's sort of becoming more popular in the fisheries biology field. Basically what it does is you can take a photo of a fish and of course it works well with fish that have some sort of unique and identifiable pattern like a northern pike or a brook trout or a brown trout tigers, those sorts of fish that have the spots and the vermiculations. But essentially you put a picture of one of those fish into this software and the software automatically creates a digital fingerprint of that fish's pattern. And so, and then you can continue to input photo after photo after photo into this software and it'll automatically identify those fish that you've previously captured or that an angler's captured before to you. And so the benefit of that and why this is a technology that is definitely worth researching is that it provides a really cool potential opportunity for citizen science, because as you could imagine, you know, if I were to use an example, you know, all of the master angler fish that are submitted on, you know, the tiger trout and twin lakes, for example. Well, if we could harvest those master angler photos and sort of create a digital fingerprint for those fish and then build that data set over the years, we could actually use sort of traditional statistical methods in fisheries to make population estimates for how many fish are in there, how many tigers are in there. We could estimate how long they actually last after stocking, what their longevity is in the system, how fast do they grow, um, how many capture events does a single fish, can a single fish withstand? You know, some of these fish in some cases, maybe they're caught three or four or five times and there could be other species that are more sensitive and perhaps you know, they can only get caught a couple times. So it's a, it's a really cool technology, the potential to learn a lot about fish without having to go and set nets and without having to go and sort of manually tag fish or put floy tags or pit tagging, which can be quite expensive. And this could involve anglers. And so I think it's something that uh, has really cool potential going forward. And I think it'll involve anglers and I know it's something that a lot of people have done on, on their own before, you know, they'll catch a picture of a pike and then they'll look at another picture of a different pike and they'll say, well, oh, those patterns look the same and, and sometimes they're right. And this software will do that for you automatically and it can hold thousands of pictures. So it's a, it's a, it's a really cool potential opportunity. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it, I think it really will be impactful on, on the landscape here. So that's uh, that's some great work. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just want to comment, you know, we had some huge changes to the landscape of the Manitoba recreational angling strategy here in Manitoba, where you basically you're not allowed to retain any trophy fish. What do you think the long-term impact will be on that? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine it's going to vary quite a bit by species and it'll vary quite a bit um, by the water body that they're in. But of course the intent and, and the hope is that essentially in, just in protecting larger size classes of fish, more mature individuals, which are disproportionately female in a lot of our species, um, we'll be able to retain a spawning stock that'll consistently produce, you know, those eater size fish for us and consistently produce more cohorts of fish that can grow up into those trophy sizes. And so it, uh, it definitely works in, in the context of Manitoba and how we we have these trophy fisheries and we want to protect them. Um, some of these regulations are pretty unique and, and, and offer pretty unique 
opportunity to sort of protect those trophy sizes indefinitely, hopefully, so that, you know, not only we can catch them, but future generations will be there to catch them as well, because it's, uh, it's certainly not lost on me that in a lot of other jurisdictions in North America, some of the fish that we catch and take for granted are, you know, the fish of a lifetime. And so we have this very unique fishery and we have this very unique province for that. And, and we want to make sure that we preserve that because there's obviously a ton of benefits that come from having this incredible fishery in Manitoba. Well, on that, Eric, I want to thank you for all your hard work, all the, all the research you've done, all the time you've committed to writing those great articles for Hook Magazine. Like I mentioned, uh, you'll be able to find the uh, illegal stalking article and special edition of Hook coming up. You'll find Eric on the back page with this uh, podcast. And uh, hopefully, uh, I'm not necessarily want to get on the ice, but I certainly want to get in a boat with you sometime <laughs> in open water next year. I, I would love that. And I think uh, both you and I are somewhat enamored with Big Pike. And so maybe that would be a good target for us. Yes, I would totally agree. Thanks so much, <laughs> Eric, for, for coming on the show. Thank, thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Visit hookedmagazine.com to subscribe to The Complete Angler and never miss an episode.